Welcome to the Horror Babble Originals podcast. A Baker's Dozen at the Zetland Hotel by Ian Gordon Chapter 3 The Man of Steel John Burroughs was a creature of habit. A wizened character at the ripe old age of seventy-two, he spent his Christmases by the sea, year in, year out. He'd retired in his fifties, forced out of work by a particularly nasty accident at the steelworks, his place of employment for over thirty years prior. Like the steelworks, which stood derelict on the banks of the River Tees, John had seen better days. The years since retirement had been unkind. A stroke at fifty-nine had impeded his ability to get around without the aid of a walking stick, and the onset of macular degeneration in his late sixties had taken a substantial toll on his vision. But he was a tough old dog, a fighter in every sense of the word, and persisted with his annual routine, come rain or shine. This year, though, rather than renting a cottage in Runzik Bay, or a roomy apartment further down in Whitby, as he'd done many times before, he'd booked an evening stay at the Zetland Hotel. John, a Redcar and Cleveland native, was more than familiar with the place. It had stood there on that hillock overlooking the turbulent North Sea for as long as he could remember. But he'd never been inside, had never possessed the inclination to do so. But this year, for reasons unbeknownst to him, the Zetland had summoned him, and he was all too eager to answer its call. Besides, it was about time he saw its grand interior— traipsed along its tastefully tapestried halls, sipped tea by the window of one of its thirteen glorious suites. Limping up to the reception desk at around 3 p.m., the former steelworks employee introduced himself to the hotelier standing behind it, squinting to get a better look at the man. He was an odd-looking chap, John noted, and quite the stranger to him. In all his years he'd never seen him out and about in the locale, not that his blurred vision was at all helpful in terms of achieving recognition. Mr. Burroughs, acknowledged the hotelier, dangling a room key in front of his face. This way, please. And the man in the unremarkable brown suit and polished brogue set off in the direction of room three. John, at his heels, just barely matching his pace. "'I believe this is your first stay with us,' the hotelier said, as he unlocked the ornate door. "'Aye,' John confirmed, lacking the wherewithal to add anything further. Small talk had never been his strong suit. The hotelier simply smiled in response to this, an empty smile, John thought, a hollow grin on a featureless face. Five minutes later, John was sitting by the window in room three with a cup of tea, gazing out at the sea, just as he'd planned to. 
There was a serenity about the place he hadn't anticipated, a calmness that stirred ancient emotions in his chest. He had it on good authority that there was a window on the first floor of the Zetland through which one could view the steelworks, a unique vantage point, he'd been informed. The former employee, twenty years after retirement, still felt a connection to the works, as it was referred to in the area, despite the terrible injury he'd suffered there. In many respects, its vast chambers had been an extension of his home, his colleagues like family. Perhaps it was this sense of misplaced comfort that had contributed in some way towards the accident. He pondered this notion often. Finishing his tea, he left room three, and made his way, slowly, up the stairs, towards the desired window at the end of the corridor. As he went, he was careful not to disturb the occupant of room thirteen, mindfully limiting the force with which his walking-stick struck the carpeted floor beneath his feet. The hotelier's request had been clear. Here was an individual to whom peace was priority one. To disturb him would be to commit a great, great sin. Somebody important, no doubt, John now muttered to himself, contemplating the identity of the individual in room thirteen. Reaching the window at the end of the corridor, he pulled open the heavy crimson curtains and took in the vista before him. There, beyond the hotel grounds and the nearby rooftops, the gently undulating hills and the sprinkling of pylons, there on the horizon stood the old steelworks, faded and wraith-like in the dying light. For several moments, John stood rooted to the spot like a statue, transfixed by the silhouette of what he often considered to be his oldest friend. Where had the years gone? he contemplated, his thoughts awash with disconnected images. The vibrant orange of molten steel, the embers and the steam, the ever-present gloom, the familiar, raucous, resonating voices, and the filthy faces of colleagues long deceased. The light without was fading fast, and this, coupled with his deteriorating vision, made it increasingly difficult for him to make out the myriad pinnacles and chimneys, his old chums, the cooling towers, and the blast furnace, and somehow it felt as though he was saying goodbye to the old place for the very last time. The finality of it all was devastating. And then the words fell from his lips, Goodbye, old friend. He hadn't intended to speak, hadn't thought he would feel this way, but somehow farewell needed to be said, and, for reasons unknown to him, it needed to be said right there and then, by the oval window belonging to the first floor of the Zetland Hotel. Was this closure? Catharsis? Such thoughts flashed through his ailing mind. With only the distinctive, jagged lines of the blast furnace still visible to him as the sun moved on to other pastures, John closed the crimson curtains and exhaled heavily. He was a man dejected, 
But as always, John Burroughs picked himself up and trudged back along the corridor, the suggestion of a smile crossing his scarred cheeks. The scars were a result of the accident. Liquid slag coughed into the air. Take care of the slag, and the steel will take care of itself, was what they used to say down at the works. But John had been off his guard, drunk at the time, as he and his pals often were, after noon. It was hard work making steel. Back in John's day, a snifter at lunchtime helped settle one's nerves. But he'd had one too many. If it hadn't been for the quick thinking of his colleagues, he'd have surely croaked that fateful day. The slag had covered his face, shoulders, and arms. Scarred for life, he was. The pain had been indescribable, not in the least nullified by the alcohol coursing through his veins. Liquid metal scorching flesh, muting nerves, boiling blood, seeking bone. But that was a long time ago. John had forgiven the old place. After all, it was his own negligence that had resulted in the mishap. Returning to his room, John, tired and melancholic, climbed onto the big old bed and sought the comfort of sleep. He'd lie there till it all went away, the haunting memories of yesteryear, the mournful reflections of the afternoon. And that was exactly what he did. He dreamt of new places, new possibilities, lakes, mountains, even cities, bright and sprawling. In the dream he walked with a newfound confidence, his gait improved, even his vision was restored. And later, roused from sleep by a gentle tapping at his door a little after midnight, the wide smile that crossed his scarred cheeks was much more than just a suggestion. Thanks for listening today. Join us again tomorrow for the next part.